good to see you in the house of the Lord today. I want you to take your copy, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. We'll just continue to, to dig and enjoy. I ask God to show you things that you may have not seen before as you're reading through. It's not that you're seeking things that are, are out of the ordinary. Just say, just ask the Lord in your daily reading. Because I, I would imagine, I know since I, I've been with y'all, we've read through Matthew several times thus far. Uh, same with Mark and Luke. And, and sometimes you can get in a routine with books that become familiar with you. And you might, be able, you might miss something that God may really want to show you. And specifically in the account of the birth of Jesus, that's something that you, you've heard in stories from a child growing up. We, we sing about it. We talk about it. You read about it. Sometimes we can get in our mind uh, this, this idea that we may miss something small and, and that may really be significant that God wants to point out to you. You may not show anybody else around you. But it may be something just for you right where you are at this time that really blesses your heart. And, and I believe he's able. Amen. Uh, we, need, we need God to show us things. We live in a n natural world. We, we still have the dynamic of the flesh involved. We see things naturally. And when we see things naturally, we can be just like Joseph, for an example. You know, we found that Mary was with child. But he thought that more than likely, I mean, to be with child, you would have to have a relationship with someone. He knew it wasn't with him, so who in the world could it be? That's what he saw naturally. So he put it to mind that he was going to put her away. He didn't want to harm her. He didn't want to hurt her. He didn't want to do anything that would be troubling to her. He was going to do it in a very generous, kind, compassionate way until God gave him light. And showed him something different. That this was a God thing. And I want to tell you that happens uh, to us. I was sharing with the men earlier. That occasion with the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The conception of the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's, that's a one time deal. Never happened before. Won't never happen again. But the, the, the principles around it are principles that happen to us on a regular basis. We see something in the natural that we may not understand why it's going on or why it happened or why somebody said something, why somebody did something until God gives us light and shows us that he may have been behind that. He may have been involved in doing this. He may have led them to say that or he may have led them to do this particular thing or he may reveal to us that the enemy's behind it and don't get so caught up in the person. We don't war against flesh and blood. Amen. Our battle is in the heavenlies, right? And we see that there's a, an enemy that's manipulating them and using them. So I don't lash out and wage war with them. I understand it's a spiritual battle. Why? God gave me light. He showed me something that I couldn't see prior to that. And that's what we, what we desire in our daily walk with the Lord. But chapter number 2, we're going to look at this occasion as it unfolds with Herod the Great, uh, the people of Israel, the priest, and uh, see how these things uh, take place with these magi as they come in looking for 
Christ. Now, one thing we want to keep in mind, it, it, it would appear to us as we read this that these magi saw a star and they begin to follow that star where it was at and then the star disappears and they were in the hunt. Where could it be? They knew in the region, the area, they were there. So they pose and ask questions and once them questions are dealt with with Herod and the priest, the star reappears, they find Christ, which obviously was not at his birth. It was a little time later. Uh, gives us a picture there. So there's some things that we can pick up on and learn. For an example, in a lot of our nativity-type scenes that we have at Christmas always have the magi, uh, the three kings, the wise men there at the birth of Christ. But according to the Scripture, it would appear that they wasn't there at his birth. They come at a later time and brought him gifts. So those things help us uh, being in the Word of God. They give us clarity on things that we see in the natural, but then God sheds, sheds supernatural light to give us revelation uh, for uh, the need. But it begins reading in verse number 1 of Matthew chapter number 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know exactly where they came from outside of the fact that they came from the east. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Ju Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over the young child where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when the treasurers, their treasurers, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then... Being divinely warned in a dream that, the, that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Father, we ask you today to help us, to teach us, to guide us, and we want to give you praise for what you are planning to do with each one of us. We're thankful for the account that you've given us. Thank you for uh, this message that we've just read. We pray that you would... Now give us um, the ability to see things in it uh, that would help us in today where we live right now. And we just love you. We praise you and give you glory and ask you to speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. 
the passage, as we look at it, I, I see as we look at these characters that are mentioned in the passage. Number one, we have the Magi. Number two, we have Herod the Great. Number three, we have the city or Jerusalem, the people, and we have the priests and the scribes. Now, in each one of those, I believe that we can find something that we relate or connect to with these these characters mentioned as it comes to Christ. Everything is right now looking at centered around him and his birth. Well, the first person we want to look at or the group that we want to look at is the idea of these Gentiles. These are Gentile wise men, magi, exactly their background, exactly where they came from. We're just not sure of that. The scriptures would tell us that that they are from the east. It refers to them as these magi-type wise men. Who were they? What did they study? It would appear as if they were scholarly in their background. It would appear as if they've had wealth with them. They carry in expensive gifts to bring. But they came, and this is what we want to focus on, they came to seek the king that was born, Jesus. You know, and, and, and that should be the dynamic of us. You know, we all, quote, unquote, are Gentiles as well of a foreign land, of a foreign country, and it ought to be evident in our lives that we too want to seek out, that they sought the king to worship him. And, and we ought to be uh, known as seekers as well, that we're always in the hunt seeking for Jesus. Amen? Seeking him. That should be what describes us. No matter what our background is, no matter what we know or don't know, no matter uh, our, our, our economic status, it doesn't matter what our skin color is, who our parents are, where we've been, or even much where God's going to take us, but we're to be known as seekers. They sought him to worship him. The light that they had, however they received it, because we're not sure, according to what we have, they sought this king who was to be born, the king of the Jews. They were seekers. Now, the second character we want to look at, not just the Magi who were seekers, but we want to look at Herod who stood against, who was shaken, who, who, who shunned this idea and stood against this king. Why? Well, Herod was actually not a Jew. His background was of the descendant of being a descendant of Esau. And he was titled king of the Jews, Herod the Great, by way of the title given to him by the Roman Empire with political ties and those types of things. But he was actually a descendant of Esau. And the Bible teaches us that there's always been a sense of enmity between Esau and the children of Israel. There's always been a battle there. And there's a, there's a scriptural picture of that that we find in the Word of God that helps us recognize that Esau is a very legitimate, symbolic picture of the nature of the flesh. The flesh is always at enmity with God. It's always in battle with Him. Well, here's this, 
this king who had rule and authority granted to him by the Roman Empire to oversee these things with the Jewish community and give oversight in that time, and therefore he used that to his advantage. He used it with uh, his, his resources, his money, his power, his authority, his abuse, with taking wives, if I'm not mistaken, some of the things I read about him, he had up to about nine wives that were all with political uh, ties to it. He was a very sensual, sensuous type leader and man. He did what he wanted, took what he wanted, uh, had intimacy with whatever he wanted to do, and he did not want anybody threatening his reign or his rule or his kingdom. So when he asked these magi, he was troubled by what he heard, that they were looking for this Christ. He pulls his priest in. They tell him Scripture that, yes, there was to be a child born in Bethlehem. He pulls them aside and finds out um, what they was actually doing, and he told them where to go. And, and when they did not come back and tell him, we could read later on in the passage, he sends out messages to go kill all the children. Why? He did not want no king taking his place. He didn't want anybody to rule over him. I'm going to tell you, our flesh is just like that. Our flesh doesn't want a king ruling over us either. We like doing things our own way. So what we see is that we see some seekers and we see somebody who stood against what God was doing, who wanted to rebel against what God was doing. Matter of fact, let me just turn back to the book of Malachi for a minute. One, one book back, Malachi 1, you'll see this picture here. Listen what God says about Esau and his spirit toward them. Y'all know who Esau, his, his heritage, right? Esau had a brother. What was his name? And they both had a daddy, and his name was Isaac. They both had a mama, and their name was Rebekah. They had children. Remember in the womb, the Scripture says that God spoke to Rebekah and told her that she had two children in her womb. One would serve the other. The, 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 uh, the older would serve the younger and that God was going to bless the, the younger. Jacob, God did. He changed his name to Israel. And there's always been enmity to some extent between these brothers against these families. And what we have here, listen what we have in verse number 2 of Malachi chapter 1. The Scripture says, as a message to uh, Judah, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have I loved you? Then he goes on to say, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Verse 4, Even though Edom, that is, descendants of Esau, have said, We have been impoverished, but we will return and we will build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Yes, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called a territory of wickedness and the people against the, whom the Lord will have indignation for how long? For sometimes, is that what it says? Forever. Indignation. Forever. See, there's this battle going on that, that happens between the spirit and the flesh. 
You know, when a man is saved, that he still has a flesh nature and, and God gives him, imparts to him a new nature. He becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus. And the scripture says that there's a battle going on in us that belong to the Lord where the spirit and the flesh wage war against one another. And the flesh can't be submissive to the spirit and the spirit will not heed to the flesh so that there's a battle always going on and what depends on is how we yield ourselves either to the flesh or to the spirit if we yield ourselves and feed our flesh we're going to operate in the flesh which only leads to death or if we yield to the spirit uh, what we sow to the spirit leads to everlasting life the scripture teaches us in galatians so you see this battle that was happening. Now, Herod is a descendant of Esau. He's an Edomite, and he has authority over the Jews. And then word comes that a Jew is going to rise up and be king over these Jews who's going to come in and conquer and overrule and take authority. Herod said, that can't happen. I will not let that happen. I want to know where that child's born, and we're going to kill that baby before he ever has a chance to live. And what Herod did was what, what many people are still doing today who are operating in the flesh or who are nothing but of the flesh, they, they stand against what God wants to do today. You see, I believe in this place today we got those that are seekers and those who stand against the things of God. We got people in here that we can, we can be seeking Him at a time and then we can submit to our flesh and then we can stand against what God wants to do. Have you ever rebelled against what God wants to do in your life? Have you ever seen God working in somebody else and you stood against it? You didn't want it to happen. You didn't want to do it. You wanted to stifle it. You wanted to kill it. You wanted to stand against it. You wasn't a seeker of the will of God. You become an instrument to rebel against the will of God. Well, this is what we have here with, with Herod. That's what was going on. Uh, but not only that, go back, if you would, and look at Matthew again. You'll see that the, the city of Jerusalem, the people, the city was stressed and shaken. They were troubled. Notice what verse number uh, 3 says. When Herod the king heard this, Matthew chapter 2, verse 3 when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, he was shaken, he was stressed over it. But not only him, all of Jerusalem with him. The people were stressed over what God was doing and what God was about to do. You know why I believe? Well, one, most of them were operating in the natural, of course, operating under the law. And when you operate under the law, the law only produces death. You're operating in the flesh, not in the spirit. You can't help but be shaken about what God's doing until God gives light on what he's doing and, and changes. But, you know, that happens also in our modern day in the sense that, let's say God gets a hold of somebody's life, and I mean he radically changes them to the point where they start doing stuff that just seems so out of character of them and so out of character of the of the of the established church or the community and God really gets a hold of them and, and it can cause stress in your life. Like, oh no, am I going to have to get serious with Jesus now or not? You know, it's them Jesus freaks, you know, people that just get sold out for Jesus and it, and it, and it bothers everybody around them, that kind of thing. Where people want you to calm down a little bit. Don't get so excited about Jesus. I mean, hey, there is more things in life than Him. Amen? That, that, that's the idea that we have here. 
uh, they liked what was going on. They were comfortable with the commerce they had. They were comfortable with where they were. They were not trouble happening. And then all of a sudden word comes that a new king is going to rise. That means trouble is going to rise within the, within the city. Yes, we might get freedom from the Roman Empire, but there's going to be things. We're going to lose stuff when this happens. And it stressed them out. It, it, it bothered them. And that happens today too. I mean, if sometimes I, I, I've seen where God showed up in, in places and, and, and people got broken before the Lord. I've seen folks come and, and just weep and weep. And there'll be people worried about the carpet getting wet because somebody was broken and crying on the, on the, on the, on the front of the church. I'm telling you, I've been there before. Stressed over what God was doing and didn't want it to happen. It bothered them. You ever seen that before? I've, 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 I've not been in a church personally, but I, I've been with people personally that had trouble in their churches over an organ and over a piano. Where are they supposed to put the organ? Church split over the fact, Miss Sadie, because one group wanted it over here, another group wanted it over there. And, 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 and a lot of that really doesn't matter, does it? But, but people get so shaken about what God is going to do or about to do that people get stressed over it. I had a a lady in our church that was serving. Her husband was wayward. And she would pray. We would pray with her. And she kept praying and praying and praying that God would get a hold of her husband and, and change his life, give him a hunger for him and his hunger for his word and just want to live for him to be a good daddy, to be a good husband, those types of things. And we prayed for several months, even into a year time frame. And, and God did. God got a hold of that man. And I want to tell you, God transformed that man's life. That, he became what you would call a sold-out Jesus freak in love with the Lord, telling people about Jesus everywhere he went, couldn't help but shout and praise and cry and give God glory for what he'd done and where he saved him from. And you know what? That man got more Jesus than his wife wanted. Yeah. Greg, within, within six months, she left him because he became, he became a Jesus freak. Stressed out over what God was doing. That can happen with us. It can happen with you. God get a hold of your children. I've watched parents get upset over the fact that their kids... Uh, turn their lives over to the Lord. I said, well, my kid got saved when he was 12 years old. And, and what are you telling me? He, he said he's saved now. He's 25 years old and, and he's living for the Lord. He's throwing away things that he used to keep in his house. You know, he was throwing out the, the alcohol and the cigarettes and the dope and he was throwing away the pornographic magazines and he was burning movies and he was doing all. Man, it's like, wait a minute. He done got radical. Man, call in the National Guard. What done happened to him, man? He done, he done, is he part of a cult? You see, it stressed them. It was too much. They liked the fact that he made a profession of Jesus at 12 years old, but lived for himself and filled himself with all kind of filthy uh, things in his life. And when he finally got right with the Lord and wanted to get rid of all that stuff, they couldn't handle it. They was thinking he done went way off the deep end. You don't have to get rid of all that. You don't have to throw that away. You don't have to do all that. Well, if Jesus says you do, you need to. Amen. 
Now, you may not tell everybody, but you want to support, encourage. You don't want to confuse. Our generation is too confused over this idea of what the life of Christ and his people to live like already. And, and, and I think none of us are on the verge of being too radical for him. Amen? Are you with me? But when people do, it stresses folks. When, when God gets involved and starts working, it can cause tension. And the city of Jerusalem, who should have been looking and waiting and longing and desiring him to come, was stressed over the fact that this child was born. The king had come. And then we find these priests. You see, the Gentiles, the Magi, they sought him. Herod stood against him. The people were stressed and shaken over it. But notice what the priest did. The priest who knew, who knew, they knew the scriptures. Listen, Herod called a man. For an example, look in verse number 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, that would be the religious people, the leaders who were supposed to know these things, and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them uh, where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They dug back in the Old Testament book of Micah and pulled out this prophetic word this picture is probably a more accurate picture of most of us people who know what god's word says who knows what god's will is these were religious these were the people who knew what the scripture said that's why he called them in mr norman they they knew the old testament a priest was the one who made intercession for the people and stood for god a scribe was one who transliterated transferred the scriptures over on the scrolls and kept it alive and kept it fresh so they were familiar with what the word said they were in the word on a regular basis supposed to be in the word and they dug up this scripture from the old testament and said yeah if there is a child of be born we don't know exactly when he's going to be born but if he was to be born he would be born in bethlehem so herod pulls in the magi sends them down there but you know what the priests do they snub the fact they shun the fact that this child could possibly be born just five miles away they didn't go seeking him would you imagine if you, if you knew what the Word said, if that was a possible potential thing, that the Christ, the King of the Jews, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Redeemer, the Emmanuel, the God with us, the One who was coming to save His people from their sins, you knew all the Old Testament references toward Him, and yet you shun and snub the fact that He's only five miles away, that you don't go looking for Him or seeking Him. That sounds like a lot of us. We know what the Word of God says. We know what it teaches. We just snub what it tells us to do. And we neglect our neighbors. We neglect people on the streets and the highways and the byways. We neglect reconciling with our brother. We neglect forgiving those that transgress against us. You see, we snub it even though we know it. Herod didn't know it. 
He just stood against it when it was made known to him. The Gentiles, the Magi, only knew what they had, a star. But they knew a king was supposed to be born, so they sought him out, and they wanted to worship and lay at his feet and give him gifts. But the people who knew better than anybody else in, in the world, in the living world at that time, what all these things meant and what they were all supposed to do, snubbed what the Scripture said and didn't travel five miles down the road to go check out this king that was to be born. Sounds like us. Amen? Listen to me now. Sounds like us. We know, we know more of, enough of the Word of God to be dangerous for Jesus. Are you with me? We know what we know. And we know a lot, a lot more than the rest of this world knows. But oftentimes we neglect what we know and snub at it rather than yielding over to it and say, Lord, use me. Help me. Help me live according to my confession. My confession is, is that I believe you are Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May my life reflect what I confess. Amen. And live for him. So I believe we can find ourselves. Where, where, where is Nick? Where are you? Where are we together? Are we like the Gentiles? Seeking him with all our heart to worship him? Are we like Herod? We're going to stand against what he's doing and not stand for him. Are we like the city, the people who are kind of stressed and get shaken by what God may do? Or we like the priest who just snub what we know to be the truth. Just something to think about. Something I had to think about as I was looking over these passages. Where am I? I know way too much of the Word of God to sit idle and not do something for Him. Amen? I know way too much not to seek Him in my daily life and to live for Him. I know way too much not to trust and obey Him. I know way too much not to be a witness for Him. Amen? How about you? You know more than enough? I would imagine so. Follow his lead today, whatever it may be. You just listen to his voice, whatever he pressed upon your heart. Just walk in it. Be a seeker. I want to be a seeker. When I fail him, I know enough that I got forgiveness with him. I repent and get right, I know enough. If I don't repent, I know enough as well. I just add sin to sin. I know enough to do what is right in the kingdom of God. Amen? And I think most of us in this place know enough today. Would you stand with me? Father, we come before you. Just ask that you help us. You speak to us. And that we identify in one way or another with, with these groups of people help us Lord live walk and breathe what we confess in Jesus name Amen